You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. Talk about crime, I now have Stefan van der Bessesen in studio. Stefan, welcome to the studio. Thanks, Chad. And Stefan is a different kind of activist. He is an anti-crime activist who wants to bring the reality of crime to the fore. He wants people to know what is going on in crime, what the true um, stats are per capita, etc. And he's starting a, an organization called Rubicon ZA, yes. which is going to be um, a, 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 a movement for change. We all remember the term Rubicon, of course, from 1984, where we thought that um, P.W. Boerter was going to cross the traditional Rubicon in his speech and start making um, changes with regards to the political situation in South Africa. And unfortunately, he didn't do that. And it became known as the infamous Rubicon speech because he didn't cross the Rubicon. Why have you named your organization Rubicon ZA? Well, Chad, I've been looking at South Africa and the way we're carrying on and, you know, taking into consideration that many people are still sitting in super poverty and you know it is in dehumanizing conditions and taking into consideration where we are heading um, technology wise uh, where automation is taking over and um, you know the fourth industrial revolution is on our doorstep we have to do a turnaround and go away from the the route that we have been on and we need to get over over um, this this point of no return that we are on and we need to go forward if we go backwards we are dead everyone now Steve, a couple of years ago um there was a program on radio sonagrense called clippity boss and max dupria was the um, host of that particular show and his very first show and was the very first afrikaans phone-in show in south africa where people could actually phone in his very first show was, was what's if a scultus in a boor and an Afrikaner? What's the difference between a boor and an Afrikaner? Yeah. And myself, coming from an English background, etc., I didn't realize that there was a difference. And I listened to people phoning in, and it was quite bizarre because a lot of um, people from the Buddha folk didn't want to be associated with Afrikaners or the Cape Dutch or people that didn't trek, etc. And it showed me a very fragmented group of people, the Afrikaners, that they weren't unified like one always thought the Afrikaners were unified. You're an Afrikaner. Is he a Boer or is he an Afrikaner? I'm a human. <laughs> so, but I just want to, I speak Afrikaans and, you know, I always thought, you know, being a Boer is a job. Um, I don't think of it as a cultural identity. It, it's a cultural identity when they say die mense wat getrek het is boeremens. In other words, the people that left after the British took control of the Cape, yeah. they are the true boers. They're yeah. the ones who, who established the boer republics. Yeah. They're the ones that went as far as the Western Transvaal up to the Bots border, up to the Zim border, etc. Yeah. And they they distinguish themselves from the Afrikaner. Mm. Well, I don't know why they would do it. Um, I can understand, you know, a nationalist sense of identity, but, you know, as a socialist, I don't subscribe to um, nationalist identities. Um, I'm, I'm human before I'm anything else first. You know? Well, that's what's interesting. That's why I'm setting the, 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 the table for what, 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 what happens next. Now, when we looked at the way the, the Afrikaners and the Boers decided that they were, were, were different, it also impacted on politics. When one looked at the Cape National Party, it was verlicht. When one looked at the Transvaal National Party, it was verkrampt. So the one was to the extreme of the other, whereas the one wanted progress to be made in 
in terms of equality in South Africa that other didn't. We're now sitting in a, in a situation in South Africa where it's a them and a us scenario. It's black and white. It's rich and poor. And we're seeing more race dialogue than ever before. And it's sad. It's heartbreaking. When one reads what Lindsay Marsdorf had to say as a spokesperson for the BLF after the Driok disaster where those children of settlers deserve to die, one has to ask oneself the question, what went wrong with the dream 25 years ago when we had our first election? Well, I think um, it is all good and well that you now have a say in uh, politics we want to vote for and all of that. But coming out of um, township conditions where uh, poverty and the inhumane conditions is rife, how do you really move forward? Um, you don't have a foundation to move move uh, from and to work with and uh, you are still t- sort of trapped in a in an economic type of apartheid if I can put it that way um, the the normal apartheid has, has stopped but uh, economic apartheid is still ongoing so you know that I think I think that is the, the way the big problem is and of course you know the government um, di- didn't distribute money to the correct places and townships townships were never developed into suburbs and that is a big thing you you have to take the take the suburbs or the townships and make it into suburbs and to give it vibrant um, suburb economies so that people can be employed where they are living and they don't need to travel all the way um, like for example from Hamon Scroll to Pretoria Um, it is a 60 kilometers drive and yeah it's it's tough well, what you're talking about was known formally as spatial planning, yeah. and it was to keep um, the non-whites out of white suburbia yeah. and to encourage migrant labouring. So migrant labourers would stay in the in the in the hostels and then go back to the homelands, which was grand apartheid. Yeah. And it's it it can't be transformed within 25 years. Everybody says, you know, the government's been in power for so long. What have they done? They have brought electricity and water to so many homes they've put roads in townships they have done so much in terms of building of clinics libraries and schools Mm -hmm. however the scourge of corruption does exist we can't deny that but one can also not deny the progress that has been made it just hasn't been enough Mm -hmm. now you as an activist your very first standpoint was to bring to the fore the reality of what you believed was farm murders versus township murderers mm. and that didn't make you very popular amongst the Afrikaans community no. and now you're talking about what blacks have suffered in terms of spatial planning in townships they're going to turn around and say Mabursian what do you know about our suffering when you didn't suffer so you put you can you putting targets on yourself from every possible position why are you doing this because um, if we continue on the road that we are on, we will head into a real genocide type of environment. Um, I hear the term genocide being thrown around, and um, I don't think people realize what it really means. Um, I mean, if you look at um, the Hutus and the Tutsis that were um, that were at each at each other's throats, that is genocide. Um, if you look what was happening. Um, uh, in America, North America, um, when when the Europeans landed there, and um, you know the Native Americans there were resisting uh, the the colonization, that was a genocide. So, 
I don't want South Africa heading in that way. Um, I love my country. I love all the people here. I love the diversity of South Africa. Um, uh, I love, like the, the, you said now, you play, you play local tunes and stuff, and I like being exposed to those local tunes and, you know, experiencing different cultures. It's interesting what you said about genocide. A lot of people tend to block it out. Um, they did a survey recently in the United Kingdom where a lot of the youth didn't even know what the genocide or the Holocaust was that occurred during World War II yeah. with the Jews. Yeah. They don't know about the Armenian genocide at the turn of the last century. Yeah. When I tell people about my trip to Congo and the fact that three million people died over a five-year period, they, they don't think much of it. You brought up the, the, Hutu, the Hutu and the Tutsi scenario. That was a million people that died in 1994 while we were having our first democratic elections in South Africa. Um, little known fact, one of the people that brought about peace between the two factions was actually Jacob Zuma. But you'll always hear the negative about Jacob Zuma. You'll never hear that he brought about the peace in KwaZulu-Natal between the warring ANC and um, IFP. The fact remains is it seems to be that people always come to blows against one another. It's something that we want to eradicate. It's something we can never forget. Mm. And it's something that people are tending to forget. Do you think that this race rhetoric we're hearing could possibly lead to genocide in South Africa? I think if you leave it to Festa and you leave, you leave the economic conditions um, the way it is and uh, the, the people are or suffering and not really moving forward because now they've been they've been sold a dream and the dream is actually turning into a nightmare where you can't escape the reality of the the um, the disposition you are, you have been start, you started from. So I think if you leave it um, and uh, you know the DA now said that they wanted to go to the um, the IEC to to uh, block the the BLF from uh, contesting in the elections and, uh, you know, pushing, pushing something under the table which needs to be out in the open is actually just pouring uh, fuel on the fire. So. Very true. And, and one, has to, one has to confront the reality that um, race is not defined to one party. And when one looks at what the PAC stood for, and they were allowed to participate in the elections, they stood for an Africa for Africans. Yes. They did not want anybody. And Patricia DeLille, who's become everybody's flavor of the month, was a very staunch PAC supporter. Yeah. Not to be confused with the original PAC that was founded by Kwame Nkrumah in 1956. When we come back, I want to talk to you about the infamous placard that you are holding regarding farm murders. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. Nobody likes people that tell the truth. That's something that uh, myself and Steph were just chatting about off air. Um, I often mention accomplishments as well as the bad things that people have done. Um, we all know that Zuma was in the pocket of, of certain individuals and that a lot happened on his watch that shouldn't have happened those past nine years. However, one can never forget that he did broker peace in KZN between the ANC and the IFP and that he was one of the peace negotiators between the Hutus and the Tutsis. But one, when one preaches truth, one tends to get a target on their back. And you, Steph, have been preaching what you believe to be the truth regarding um, crime statistics in South Africa and some that get blown out of proportion, some that get more attention than others. And I saw a placard, and that's how I got to got to know you and why I invited you on the show, where you were holding a piece of cardboard and it spoke about farm murders versus township murders. Tell us about that. Well, you know, um, 
Steve Hofmeyer and leading members of the Afrikaner folk, <coughs> they um, they have been pushing this agenda, agenda or narrative that you know um, farmers are basically the only guys that get tortured and you know are subjected to violent violent crimes and such. And um, the reality is is different. Um, I know that violent attacks do take uh, place on farms, but nobody is saying something about the violent attacks that's taking place in the, in the townships and in the suburbs. I mean, mainstream media focuses on um, the stories that will carry that's got um, uh, people that has got social capital, and they they make it onto some mainstream media platform. But they don't. They don't really make it into um, the, the 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 township people. Don't make it into the mainstream media because it's just another number. So, for me, it is important to highlight that um, we have to we have to look at it holistically. And uh, if we want to address the four murders and the four attacks, that we have to also um, go into the townships and see how things are there and start fixing things there because. If you don't, uh, you can't, you can't um, treat the symptoms indefinitely. You have to go to the root cause and tackle the root cause, which is the poverty. Now, when one looks at the farm murders, one <coughs> looks at the statistics. Um, there was a, a decrease and an increase and a decrease again, and mm. no murder is good. Whether it's a farm murder, a township mm. murder, nothing's good. Yes. But a lot of attention was focused on the farm murders because of. Of the fact that it seems to be targeting a specific group. I've had my viewpoints on this for a long time. My viewpoint is that after the commander units were disbanded in 2006, something that um, was a decision made by Tabo Mbeki, we took away rural defense. Rural defense was something that existed for a very long time. The commanders made up the SANDF, just like they previously made up the SADF. And they were an integral part in securing our rural areas, because we must also remember our rural areas are also our borders. Yes. So if you've got stock theft taking place in the free state, chances are it's going into Lesotho across the Cullinan River, etc. Yes. So you weren't just protecting the farmers, but you were protecting our borders. 2006, the commanders were disbanded, and we suddenly started seeing peaks in attacks on farmers. But it wasn't something that we that has been termed genocide. And I can't see it being a genocide, because when you, one looks at the figures of people that have been killed in farm attacks, it doesn't come close to what the word genocide describes. My belief is farmers are soft targets. They have what criminals want. They have vehicles. They have weapons to commit further robberies. Policemen themselves are targets. Last year, I know of 10 cases where policemen were shot just for their firearms on their way to work. Um, and I think 10 would have been actually a very conservative figure. Um, in two weeks alone, I think there were three police officers killed in KZN for their weapons because a weapon is a very valuable commodity. Why do you think that there's this narrative that there's a low-intensity war taking place? against the Afrikaner and that these farm attacks, which are criminal attacks in my opinion, are actually genocidal attacks. The only, the only reason why I can think that um, people would uh, push that narrative is because they want to be separatists. They want to stay on their own and do their own thing and they don't want to integrate with they, they don't appreciate the, the diversity of our country. Um, and that's and and of course it could also be that you know people like the status quo they like cheap labor and you know for them it is it is a it is a thing that would keep the the, the division between the the classes and the races. 
And, uh, you know, I don't even subscribe to races. I think there's one human race. But, you know, because someone said because I'm lightly skinned, I'm white, and someone is darker skinned, he's, he's, he's now black, and we're different races. I don't believe in that. But there's, I, I believe people that have hate in their hearts, that don't operate in love or from a position of love. And um, for them, you know, it is about uh, keeping keeping things apart. We've we've had Afrikaans activists that have gone against the status quo in the past, Breiton Breitenbach, um, Bayez Nordia and others. What made you take out your soapbox, stand on your soapbox and use the farm murders as a means to an end to get your message across? And do you think it's working? Well, um, I don't think I'm like anything like those other Afrikaner legends. Um, I'm, I'm a nobody. But the, the the thing that I, I've got a family, we all have families, and, you know, I would really love to keep everyone in a place where things can go better and not worse, that we don't um, slide backwards. And the same goes for, for my son. Um, and I, I remember as a kid growing up having to go to school um, and having bomb, bomb drills at school and even coming to Pretoria, my mom was a, a teacher and we had to check uh, underneath the cars for bombs and such. And, you know, I don't want the future generations to live in that type of toxic environment. Um, for me, it is about we have to go forward as a species and we have to use our combined resources to get to our future place. I, I can see where you're coming from, and it's something that people aren't prepared to talk about. I'm going to give you an example. This weekend I saw some pictures on social media of a Burkamandu from um, the late 1800s, early 1900s. And it said this Burkamandu um, had suffered the death of 50 members in a, in a, in a, in a, in an attack against the British during um, the Anglo World War. And they, they really thought they'd suffered massive losses and this would be a setback. But when dawn came, they found out that they'd actually killed 3,000 British soldiers. And there seems to be this activism to show how strong and how powerful the commando, the Boer commanders, not to be confused with the commanders that, that were disbanded by Mbeki were. And the commanders were, were feared worldwide. In fact, they were highly regarded, highly respected by the British who named the, the SAS and the SBS, the Special Air Service and Special Boat Service, the Special Forces Commando Units in honor of the Afrikaans commandos who were the very first proper guerrilla fighters. Do you think, is that the fear? Do you think that there could be groups within the Afrikaans community that want to go back to guerrilla warfare and to fight the, the, the African government the way they fought the British government? Yeah, I do think so. <laughs> it, it is. I've, I've, seen some, I've seen some nasty posts online and I've been following some far-right fringe groups and um, the message that they are getting across is, um, you know, they are a military operation. Type thing, and I don't, I don't, I don't see the the need in a in a globalized world where we are living, where resources can be um, uh, moved around and made available to everyone. Um, I don't see scarcity, so I, I don't understand why you would like would want to fight. Um, no. You chose 
the most sensitive platform to stand on, and that was to bring cognizance to the fact that township murders are far more prevalent to that of Correct. farm murders. Mm. You picked a fight with your own community. Have you been a victim of hate speech as a result of this? Yeah, <laughs> I have. Um, so, so did my fiance. Um, the things that were said to her and uh, you know, the ill wishes, I can say, and the hostility, it is you can't believe that you have the same cultural identity and the same religious upbringing um, in, in, in common with these people. It is like. It's like the worst of the worst. <laughs> it's heartbreaking to see um, how, after 25 years, races come to play such a massive role in our country once again. And I think it's it's the daily growth of the disparity between the haves and the have-nots that contributes towards this. And until we address the, the economic non-transformation, only then will we be able to, to move forward. And you made a very valid point earlier that there's still economic apartheid. But people will then say to you, what about BEE? What about affirmative action? And um, what about employment equity? Those are failures. And when we had the TRC, the TRC was only about political violence. They never looked at the economic um, crimes that were perpetrated against the majority in this country. And until yeah. that healing process takes place, we've still got a long way to go. And my hope is that with these different inquiries we're hearing, we're hearing how the ANC just took over where the Nats left off. Yes. It was just another manifestation of enrichment for a few at the expense of the many. Yeah. In closing, what are your hopes that you can, as, as, a, as an activist, get out there? What is your message in terms of your activism? Well, I would like people to consider the history. Like when, when the British up and left, they left the uh, select few elite in, in power. Um, the select few elite knew that they had to manage the labor, which was re represented through the townships, the cheap labor. And um, like some people got rich out of it, a, a small minority, and uh, things like Iskor, um, the Wehrmacht, um, Spoorweg, all of those things were almost the same as BE and affirmative action today to help the Afrikaners out because they were all st staying in shanty towns as well. <laughs> and I hope that um, people, the Afrikaners, um, would remember um, the the position they came from and know that they had a helping hand in getting out of their conditions and I hope they can extend the goodwill and hold government responsible and accountable for the non-development of townships into suburbs um, this, a while ago um, that lady from um, Zill said from about the tax revolt and the tax revolt is, I think, a good idea in the sense that you can take money, put the money into a into a trust or something that's audited and open to everyone to see, and you use that money to start fixing up the townships and changing them over into suburbs. And you say to government, listen, if you don't want to do your job, we will do your job. Thank you for using the example of when the Nats took over in 48 from the British because when one looks, well not from the British, from SEP, the South African Party and the Smuts, because when one looks, they brought in the rural Afrikaners, known as the Bavewana, 
Um, they even changed names. Robert's Heights became Fortrecht of Wuchter. When the ANC came into power, it became Zabachwane. So when I say the ANC learned a lot from the Nets, I'm being quite serious. Yeah. Um, where do people find you on social media? Where do people find you anywhere else if they want to follow more about what you have to say? Well, I've got a, a, a Twitter account and I've got a Facebook account. I've only started um, now, like last week, um, my job. Is now finished, so um, I haven't put up anything yet. Um, but it's, the Twitter account is Rubicon Zero, and um, the Facebook account is just Stefan van Wiesleden. I'll put those links up on our group. You can find us Confidential Brief Radio Show on Facebook, and of course at High FM on Twitter. Stefan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, guys. Good luck with your activism. Watch your back. It's not always easy. Okay. <laughs> and I hope as the organization grows, you come back and visit us and tell us how it's going. I hope so. Thank you.